This is Due South, broadcasting from the American Tobacco Historic District in downtown Durham. I'm Leonida Inge. The state of North Carolina recently commemorated the 125th anniversary of the Wilmington Massacre of 1898, a race riot incited by white supremacists. More than 60 people died, and more than 2,000 black residents were driven from town. The legacy of the massacre lingers in Wilmington through annual acknowledgments of its impact on the community, a commission to develop a historical record of the event, and a monument and memorial park. The legacy of the massacre lingers in Wilmington through annual acknowledgments of its impact on the community, a commission to develop a historical record of the event, and an 1898 monument and memorial park. During my long career as a reporter in North Carolina, I've covered the anniversary of the Wilmington Massacre more than once. But there's one facet of coverage I remain curious about all these years later. It's something that came up in 2006 when I spoke to a then 64-year-old Wilmington resident, Lottie Clinton. You did not raise the children negatively. And I found that's been so true you know, with a lot of people that their parents raised them in a positive atmosphere. And um, a lot of people still don't want to talk about 1898 because it's painful. It's painful to them. Miss Clinton's sentiment about parents' reluctance to teach historical instances of racial violence to their children has stuck with me. In New Hanover County Schools, the public school district in Wilmington, the events of the 1898 massacre are taught to students at various grade levels, including 3rd, 4th, 8th, and 12th. But both educators and parents are still figuring out the best ways to teach these difficult histories to children. With me to discuss some ways to introduce and continue these conversations with kids is Dr. LeGarrett King, founding director of the Center for K-12 Black History and Racial Literacy Education at the University of Buffalo. Dr. King, welcome to Do South. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, part of your work is to educate educators, right? Sometimes there's this assumption that as long as teachers are including black history as part of their curriculum, the work of inclusion is done. But why isn't that enough? Well, I think there's a distinction between um, teaching the content of Black history and actually teaching Black history effectively, right? Something that researchers have called pedagogical content knowledge, right? The ability to make sure that you teach that content properly, right? There's certain pedagogical approaches or instructional approaches that um, do not align, right? For example, uh, throughout the United States, you've had people attempt to teach slavery through what they will call slavery mock auctions, mm. right? And that is not a good pedagogy to go with that content, right? So through the center, we hope to effectively teach teachers how to use appropriate instructional and pedagogical methods when they're teaching Black history and race. Mm, you have to give me an example of that, because what you're saying is if one is a good teacher, they have to make their subjects or students want to know this history. Yeah. Um, when I think about, let's take, for instance, my my kid, right, who's in middle school. And um, I think the teacher was trying to attempt to teach the middle passage. 
there was no context. Um, this was the first time that the students learned about Black history in in that history course or, or about Black people. So number one, the first thing they learned about Black people was that they were enslaved. Um, and then the teacher's instructional approach was simply showing them the movie Amistad. Give us, us free! Crying out, give us free, or anything else that give us The the um, the scenes um, through the middle passage where the slaves were naked, they're throwing up and childbirth and throwing them over um, overboard into the ocean, uh, and then that was essentially it, right? <laughs> so um, yeah, I think I saw almost thought as a grown grown woman. <laughs> I didn't see it as a child. Yeah, so a lot of the Black parents at that school and Black students at the school were traumatized over that particular lesson plan because the teacher didn't do their due diligence to teach and be sensitive and empathetic to different concepts around race and Black history. So what are some of the other like common challenges that educators face in teaching young students about historical incidents, say like the Wilmington Massacre, for example? Yeah, I think um, the research has shown that the majority of teachers uh, who are white women from the suburbs, right, um, know very little about the nuances of race and racism, right? Um, Or they understand race and racism a little differently than I think Black parents in Black communities and Black scholars would, would kind of connect to those particular aspects, right? So there is a lack of knowledge generally around race and racism. And then because they, most teachers were educated in our school systems that don't do a really good job in exploring the complexities around Black history, they lack the knowledge um, around Black history as well, right? So um, if we're talking about elementary school teachers, um, they're generalists. So in many ways, they did not receive the type of education in college that would push them to understand um, lots of Black history, right? Now, secondary teachers are a little bit different because they're content specialists. But again, it depends on what type of knowledge they learned um, in in college and in high school. And from my research, um, many choose to focus on other histories and their Black history knowledge is lacking tremendously. Well, I'm here with Dr. LeGarrett King. He's the founding director of the Center for K-12 Black History and Racial Literacy Education at the University of Buffalo. And we're talking about how teachers can better teach history that may be traumatizing, like when we think of the Wilmington Massacre of 1898 in North Carolina. But, you know, there are Definitely other instances in in, uh, in history where we can do a better job. So it makes me think in your work, um, you teach that history is not just about facts, right? It's about the interpretation of the facts. So what's one way um, that distinction plays out, say, in a classroom setting? 
Right. So um, I teach a lot about how different groups of people interpret history and what history is considered truthful, right? In my um, you know, understanding, like Black history is really Black history if it comes from the perspectives of Black people. And when we think about how we how we normally understand black history is through white people's perspectives, right? For example, when we teach about Brown versus Board of Education, right? The majority of the narratives are coming from not black people, but I think what people believe Brown stood mm-hmm. for, right? If we really taught Brown versus Board of Education through black people's perspectives, that narrative looks totally different. We'll teach about how black principals and black teachers lost their jobs mm. or got demoted, right? We'll talk about the closing of black schools, which was which were excellent, right? The only difference between those schools were the funding mechanisms, right? Um, if you ever talk to any older black person who went to segregated schools, they talk talk about those schools in glowing terms, right? I haven't met one person that didn't talk about their their schools in that particular way. And then also we traumatized a group of students when we began to really integrate um, schools, right? Um, a lot of times racism didn't occur with, with the children, but the racism occurred with the teachers who could not, you know, teach them deeply, right? Or did not want to teach them because of their racist beliefs. And if we begin to trace the history of the achievement gap, it began during integration because we had a bunch of teachers who did not want to teach the students that were in front of them instead of improving their improving their pedagogy and their instruction, they blame the black kids. See, what do, you, what do you say when people say, or teachers or school districts, that black history is American history? You know, that it really should all, that it should be included as one. And we do know there's school districts in this country today that are trying to, or have banned the way that black history is being taught at all. Like some things you just aren't allowed to say in the classroom. Yeah. So on a technical side, yes, black history is American history. Right. But it all depends on how you're defining American or U.S. history or even world history. Right. Um, If the fantasy that we believe is American history is totally different from black history. Right. To truly effectively teach black history, those narratives are totally different from what we've seen through American history, because we're not because we're focusing on black people's voices their experiences, how they understood the country, right? And there's and and we just don't get that in various different concepts of American history. And most people don't know how to teach, right, through Black people's perspectives. Well, this is a good thing. I guess I've heard there's been, you know, this push for Black history mandates across the country now, I guess, which would require by law that black history is integrated into classroom instruction in one way or the other. And is that enough, though, to ensure that black history will be taught well? No, it's not, because it depends on what kind of black history you're teaching. 
right? Mm-hmm. Uh, throughout history, um, Black history has been part of the educational lexicon since the 19th century. But the problem has always been conditional because it's one of those things where if we teach a Black history that does not disrupt the progressive narrative of the U.S., then for most people, um, that is proper, right? So we can teach George Washington Carver, we can teach um, Jackie Robinson, and we teach it in a way that kind of shows Black exceptionalism, you know, through through um, adversity, et cetera, et cetera. But when we begin to start talking about the continued access of anti-Blackness or racist acts or systemic racism, a lot of people throughout history, particularly politicians and teachers and school boards, always have had a problem with it. The biggest problem with many of the Black history mandates is that there are no accountability, mm. right? If if we learn anything from the anti-history laws that, that have sprung up in our country recently, we understand that when you want to hold people accountable, you can do that within the educational space. So a lot of these states who have Black history mandates, it seems like it's symbolic, right, without any enforcement or accountability for many of these school districts and teachers. Um, and, and part of that's part of the state, right? The state's fault. There's no funding um, and there's no oversight or whatever the case may be. But it's more than just having a symbolic law on the books about Black history. Well, since I have you on the line, I'm, I need. I'm going to ask you this. Okay, so <laughs> because you know, growing up and even raising my children, and um, we've had we have a diverse group of friends. But sometimes on Saturdays, you know, Chinese friends they go to Chinese school. You know, Jewish friends they go to Jewish. I mean, all kind of nationalities. And I just wonder. I mean, even though we're supposed to be this great melting pot, is it time for you know, African-American schools on Saturdays. And I know some groups and communities still do that. They never stopped, Mm -hmm. you know. So I wonder, even though that's not part of the public school system curriculum, but are we back at a time where we just need to do it ourselves? Well, I think historically we have been doing that through our Black organizations and Black churches, right? So um, my wife is part of Jack and Jill, and every time— they have an opportunity to um, do something with the teenagers or with with the younger kids. They're always this kind of connection uh, to Black history knowledge, right? Um, the Black church has always been a conduit um, for, for teaching about Black history, particularly during Black History Month. So while um, we haven't had it kind of institutionalized, right, within different Black organizations, I think a lot of different Black organizations have continued to do it. Now, the question is, is it enough, right? Uh, even through my center, we have uh, Saturday schools called Black History Nerds. Mm-hmm. And uh, once once a month and four times in February, we're just a bunch of nerds that wake up on Saturday mornings just to learn Black history, right? Just so, in February? Huh? Just in February, no, 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 Dr. No. King? No, I said one per month. And <laughs> okay, four, one per month, okay. And four in February. Uh, four so in February, weekend, okay. I'll yeah. let you off the hook. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, my job is Black history, right? My business mm-hmm. is Black history. So, um, you know, we do this thing 365 um, days a year. So when I think about, um, you know, Miss Lottie Clinton that I mentioned earlier in the show, 
and the Wilmington Massacre, you know, that happened, you know, over a century ago, you know, she mentioned how it's just painful. Like, is it sometimes just our fault? It's so painful that we don't even think we need to keep telling our kids about what happened. That's fair, right? Um, I think there is a connection to Black parents who want their children to learn um, different aspects of Black history. but and, 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 and this extends not only through kind of larger events like the Wilmington Race Riot, right? It extends to people's personal histories that are extremely hard for them to revisit. Right. So if you do have a parent or a relative or um, ancestor that was part of that, you know, you you probably have visions of that time and how it hurts. And and you look at your children who may be experiencing racism at their schools, particularly if they go to integrated schools or suburban schools or whatever. Um, and it's just you know, something where you're just like, enough, enough is enough. I don't want to feel pain. I want to feel joy, right? I want to feel, um, you know, the goodness, the contributions of excellent, you know, Black people through history. And that's understandable, right? But then there's another facet about being a Black parent that is saying, we live in a racist society, right? Whether or not we want to admit that it's systemic racism or individual racism, they're there are issues that our children, right, need to know and be prepared for, right, for our society. So there's there's this. Yeah, we're the adults. We're the adults. <laughs> yes, yes, and 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 it's just one of those things where, am I preparing my student? I mean, my 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 child to live in this world that will you know have you know where where he or she will experience these these um, racist acts towards them. Where Dr. LeGarrette King is the founding director of the Center for K-12 Black History and Racial Literacy Education at the University of Buffalo. And it's been a pleasure chatting with you over this. I got some tips personally, and I hope school teachers that are listening today also get a few tips. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it.